before I begin, just want to thank you for the prayer, the idea of putting a light in the window and people in persecuted situations. I heard a story once, a, a true story of a tribe, I believe in, in Nigeria, who um, there were Christians and Muslims living alongside each other. And the Christians decided that if persecution was to come, they didn't want to, uh, um, anyone else to get involved, so they stuck crosses on the roofs of their houses so that when the people came, they knew where the Christians were, which I think, I'm not sure I could do that. I have difficulty sticking a fish on the back of my car in case somebody expects me to behave in a Christian manner when I'm driving. But there we go. <laughs> Lovely image. Do you ever wake up in the night? It can be a really troublesome thing. I often wake up in the night and, and almost instinctively the first thing I do is to check the clock, which can be a real torturous thing, especially if you saw it last 20 minutes ago and you see it again in half an hour, trying to get through a night sometimes. But we do instinctively want to know what the time is. Sometimes when we look at the clock in the morning, it's good news, isn't it? You know, we look at it and it's 4.30 and we think, ah, oh. you know, another couple of hours sleep before the alarm will go off. That's fantastic. And we roll over and that's fine. And other times it's bad news, isn't it? Because it's two minutes before the alarm will go off and you still feel exhausted. And worst of all is you look at it and it's 20 minutes after the alarm should have gone off and you've got a meeting in five minutes. We rely a lot on clocks, but clocks weren't big in the, in the world of the apostle as he wrote to the Romans. They did have ways of timing things, but they certainly didn't have clocks in the way that we understand them throughout the day, keeping an eye and ticking away the seconds. So if you wanted to know what time of day it was, when it was time to get up, when it was time to go home, when it was time to go to bed, you looked to the sun. The sun was what governed your day. And in fact, for many folk, they were too poor to light their houses at night for any length of time. So once the light had gone, you went to bed so that you could be up for the first split seconds of light in the morning. If you haven't got a clock, perhaps looking out the window is the answer then. Um, my, my dear grandmother once got terribly confused by taking too much medication at the wrong time of day and then fell asleep. And when I got in, she was making breakfast at 6pm. And she said, well, I thought it was morning. I said, well, the best clue, Grandma, is to look out the window. <coughs> oh, it's dark, isn't it? I thought it was just going to rain, she said to me. But the rising sun shows us that day is soon on its way and you get the dawn chorus and all that beautiful stuff that goes with it it's interesting isn't it that the natural way of waking up which our bodies are genuinely tuned to and so why we struggle so much when we can't do it is with the light of the sun you know you can buy a clock now that simulates dawn it gradually lightens up until it fills your room with light the advantage, unlike the sun, is you can set it to snooze and start again. So, um, an advantage. But it's good for us. Paul writes this. And do this. Understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. I hope you haven't fallen asleep. But uh, maybe you're not a morning person. 
I used to be, when I was a child of about six, I would be up at 5.30 asking, in the, standing on the landing, shouting, is anyone else awake? And they'd call back, we are now! <laughs> Maybe you're not someone, though, that springs out of bed full of joie de vivre. Perhaps it's a more gradual process, and I'm expecting to wake up at any moment now. But Advent Sunday is a wake-up call. It's sometimes called the Day of the Cockerel, and if you've ever lived next door to someone who keeps cockerel uh, along with their chickens, you'll know that sometimes what you want to do is sling a boot at it or um, even find a good recipe for it. But what does Paul mean when he writes about being awake? We go to sleep, we wake up frequently. That can't be what he means. And what he means is, have your eyes wide open to the truth. Be awake to the truth. We are awakened to God's truth that he's revealed to us. Be ready and alert and vigorous as far as we're able to serve God as he directs. Advent is a time then for us to renew our vigour in service. I hope you've all got your advent calendars lined up. You may have even opened day one. When did chocolate find its way into advent calendars? Mm -hmm. We used to get a little picture if we were lucky. But we use these things, don't we, to count down the days to Christmas, when Christmas begins. Each day passes and you're one day closer to the turkey. Or if you're me the massive mound of Brussels sprouts. Because I don't eat turkey, but I do love sprouts. Paul writes, and this is a wonderful truth, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. You know, it's true that although we don't know the day that salvation will be brought to fulfilment in the return of Christ and the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth and our process of perfection in Christ will be fulfilled we can rejoice that today it's one day closer than it was yesterday so even if sometimes the day seems like a drag, we can end the day somehow saying to ourselves, well, I'm one day closer to the glorious day of the Lord. Of course, it being getting closer isn't just a thing for us to rejoice in. It also gives us a sense of urgency to get on with the work which we're called to do in Christ, that light shining, sharing of the Lord and his love, letting his truth into a dark world. The time we have for that isn't limited, is, 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 limit, is limited rather. We don't know when the opportunity is going to end. Somebody once said Christians should live as if Christ died yesterday in other words, in the light of the cross that transforms us, rose again today in the joy that resurrection brings and that he's coming again tomorrow, giving us that sense of urgency to live out the faith that we're called to. So Advent is a time to reconfirm our commitment to the calling we have. I don't know if any of you are or were afraid of the dark. 
I used to have to have the landing light on and we had those windows above the doors that were typical of a house of a certain age so that you couldn't, you know, you didn't have any other way of lighting um, from that and you could see and then the light would come to the landing and all that. But I used to have the light on on the landing and that's my sense of security. And as I said earlier, fear of dark is almost an irrational thing because dark isn't anything at all. That's precisely what it is. It's the absence of light. But that little bit of light brings reassurance because without light we can't see either. I once took an entire class of children into a large shed on our school site because it was the only place on the school site where you could shut the door and there were no windows and they could experience for themselves what it was like to be in complete darkness. We can't see at all. Doesn't matter how many carrots we've eaten, <laughs> you can't see in the dark. And that's why it intimidates us. And it's darkness, this imagery that we've got in this reading, that it's under the cover of night that all sorts of things that shouldn't be going on go on. It's when people who want to do certain activities can do so without so much risk of being noticed. Evil is at work, and that's what we associate with darkness. People, perhaps, who are too ashamed to be seen doing what they've chosen to do. They want to keep it under wraps. I'm sure we can all think of things in our own lives that we'd rather people didn't know about. But Paul writes this. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. In other words, when everyone's watching and everyone can see what's going on. Called to be, we'd be called to be free from darkness, free from the darkness of sin and selfishness, to show true light righteousness in Christ. Um, this idea of armour, I love that idea. I don't know if you've ever worn armour, it's pretty heavy stuff. Um, but think about the armour we encounter in Ephesians chapter 6. And it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking about righteousness here as well, the armour of light. Righteousness protects us at our most vulnerable point. If we get entangled in sin, we do harm not just to ourselves, but also to the whole people of God. If we're not wearing our armour and we get knocked out of the line, then others are going to struggle and suffer too. So Advent is a time for us to deal with those muddy things, those muddy water things that come between us and God and, and prevent us from freely serving him. We can't serve God well when our hands are full of stuff that we would be better to put down. What do we do instead? Well, Paul goes on in verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this armour ultimately leads to, to being Christ-like. And being Christ-like doesn't just mean mimicking Christ. I was talking earlier, um, when I was at secondary school, we used to spend a lot of time mimicking the teachers. And I'm sure all of you, even now, can think of a phrase or an expression that a teacher used um, that, you know, you can call to mind. And you mimicked them. You took, you took the mickey out of them, didn't you? 
I once walked into a room when some children were um, mimicking the headmaster of their school. <coughs> they didn't know I was standing behind them, but um, they stopped quite quickly. To be Christ-like isn't about imitation in copying in that way. It's about submitting to the working of the Holy Spirit in us so that the Spirit can transform us to the righteousness of Christ that God shares with us and that will be completed when day comes and the, and the day of the Lord is upon us. Well, I haven't mentioned chocolate biscuits yet this evening, so I'm going to do it now. My grandmother used to buy biscuits and then if she was trying to open them and she found it quite difficult, I think partly because she didn't actually want to share them with anybody else because they cost her too much and she had so little, she'd say, oh, these are difficult to open. They must be slimming biscuits. Mm. And, uh, and I understand where she's coming from from that because I tend to stay slimmer if the biscuits stay shut. To avoid the risk of overindulging, of being drawn into temptation and therefore falling into sin, it's better for me not to buy the biscuits in the first place, and if I have got them, not to open them. They say if you're hungry, don't go food shopping. Or in my case, take Gillian with you so she can steer you away from the fatal aisles of biscuits and sweets. But we pray, don't we? And we've prayed today, lead us not into temptation. We have a responsibility here. And that's what Paul brings us to the conclusion here. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There's a version of the Lord's Prayer, which you've probably heard, where the person's praying it and then God answers and says various things. And there's various responses. But the one I love is the person says, Lead us not into temptation. And God replies, of course I won't. But don't you go walking into any either. And that's what Paul's talking about here. As soon as you give sin an inch, it'll take a mile. As soon as I've had one biscuit from the packet, I'm halfway through it. As soon as I sit down in a comfy chair to celebrate Advent and drink a cup of tea, I wake up 23 days later. Not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature doesn't mean starving ourselves, but it means keeping away from the things that we know are a temptation to us so that we don't fall into sin. So let's make the most of Advent. So that when we arrive at the end of it, we don't look back again and think, where did that go? What difference did it make? Let's wake up. Let's open our eyes again to the truth. Delight in the promise of salvation, the light in the darkness. Work with determination to share the gospel in even the littlest ways. Live in obedience to God's transforming spirit, changing us to be Christ-like. And allow this Advent season to make a difference and bring glory to God forever. Amen.